So I understand you know Captain Joy Mante, huh? Oh yeah, I know Miss Joy well. We were uh, we were down at uh, in New Orleans the other day, or last week I believe it was, doing a Riverworks Discovery event, and uh, we we get to meet uh, doing those events and everything, which we really enjoy doing uh, doing the outreach for uh, the high school students in New Orleans area, right? And so she we were. We're always, it was a rain day, so we got moved underneath where the cruise terminals are, so everything gets swapped up at the last minute, and we're running around, you know, taking care of our business. We have the rig in there and doing the thing. When she comes around to me at the end, she's like, hey, uh, there's going to be a hot wash, um, at, you know, meet down here. I said, excuse me? And she's like, there's a hot wash. I was like, okay, what's a hot wash? And do you know what a hot wash is, Tim? Yeah, okay, well, good, because she can see this. But I was like, uh, I didn't know what a hot wash She's like, you of all people don't know what a hot wash is. I said, no, ma'am, I don't know what a hot wash is. What are you talking about? And she, it, it blew her mind that I did not know what a hot wash was. And she's like, everybody here but you. And so uh, we, it was a funny joke. We were going around to everybody, like, what's a hot wash? Well, a hot wash is a meeting after doing something. It's like a, you know, so, yeah. So when you get done doing something, this uh, you know, the the meeting afterwards, Um you know, it's called a hot wash. And well, I learned that. I said, well, Ms. Joy, I'm, I'm good for the day. I've, I've learned my, I've learned something new and I, I can just shut down. But uh, that was really funny. She was hilarious, dude. <laughs> she was hilarious. She gave me hell about not knowing what a hot wash was. But yeah, she's absolutely great, man. Uh, real professional. And uh, we enjoy being around her. Welcome back to Between the Levees. I'm joined today by Captain Joy Mante a freelance trip pilot that's been everywhere and done everything I can imagine to even ask. I don't know where to start with her story, and I have no idea where this conversation will end, but Captain Joy, thank you for joining me on Between the Levees. Thank you, Tim, for having me. Well, all these usually begin by where were you born, what did your parents do, how many siblings did you have, and all that stuff, and we'll get into that. But tell me first, um, in your chaplaincy roles you were recently were on a training ship from hawaii to california tell me about that experience well it was very interesting it was the uh, suny uh, maritime cadets from state university of new york who lost their ship uh when morad took it to dismantle it and to scrap it before the new ship came out uh that was being built so they went to the golden bear which is a cal state university maritime ship and went from Vallejo, California, to um, Honolulu. And I boarded it in Honolulu as a chaplain and went from Honolulu to San Diego and then back to Vallejo. So we had uh, about a couple of hundred cadets on board and um, some of the merchant mariners who teach the cadets as well as some of the instructors and teachers from the university. So it was, uh, it was my first really blue water trip. And it was uh, very interesting. I, I enjoyed it. You mentioned to me before that I think you had taken up some cadets to the uh, to the bridge for the first time. Is that correct? Um, some of the engine room cadets had gone up there. I uh, had really never been in an engine room on a on a, a large ship while it was underway, and so I kept telling the uh, third engineer that I wanted to go, and then I had you know went to the chief engineer and asked asked him if he would you know, show me the engine room. And so he sent me to the first and I went to the first and he thought I was joking, but I really, really wanted to see the the inside, you know, the engine room when it was underway. And so I had one of the cadets, um, Mr. Dumdroff, um, I hope I'm pronouncing his name right, 
Um, he showed me around and he did an excellent job. And he was only a uh, freshman. Um, I get the numbers mixed up, but that's four year, class four, class one. But he was a freshman finishing up his freshman year at SUNY. And he did an excellent job of showing me the intro. The poor fellow, I kept asking so many questions. He had missed his, you know, getting off time like by 45 minutes. And he finally said, well, ma'am, do you have any more questions? Because um, I need to get my dinner and get, lay down, you know, to come back on watch in a little bit. And I said, oh, no, I'm so sorry. I didn't know that. And then uh, he said he had been up on the bridge. So I said, well, look, I'll, you know, I'm going to be up at the bridge. Come meet me up there tonight at eight o'clock. So he came up and I had to return the favor and I had him steer the ship uh, and hold the con since he let me, you know, show me all around the engine room. And the biggest thing that I was amazed at on the ship in the engine room was that the shaft from the, the main engines, um, which were, it was twin screw, but it went to one single shaft through a, um, uh, what do you call those gears? Um, certain kind of gear, I can't remember what you call that gear, where two engines go down into one into the shaft. The shaft was like 60 feet long. I was shocked to see that long of a shaft, but um, uh, it, was a great, it was a great trip. How different was that engine room to what you're used to? Oh, it was very different. First of all, first of all our shafts are not that, you know, that long. And uh, of course our engines on even the 10.5s of horsepower turbo, it's not that big. So uh, it, was, it was quite different. And what what other jobs have you done in the meantime since we last spoke? I think you said some time on passenger vessels on the Ohio. I have. I was actually um delivering a brand new vessel from Lafitte in Crown Point, Louisiana, down to Tampa about four weeks ago, and uh, that was an interesting trip. It's a it's a very uh, low low uh, not low visibility, but it's very squatty, um, a very short uh, boat vertically. And so it's going to run on the Hillsborough River in Tampa uh, for a yacht store ship. And the name of the vessel is Craft. It's going to be serving uh, craft food and craft drinks. And it's um, got a, a wood-fired grill on it. It's going to be a very neat vessel. And um, we didn't have a radar on it. And we went, <laughs> the Harvey Lock and the Algiers Lock were both closed. So we had to go down Bayou Barataria and then go east from Bayou Barataria past Grand Isle and then out to the, um, up to Baptiste Colette. And, uh, you know, up to Venice, up to the jump, and then back to Colette, and then Chandelier Islands, you know, up to Long Beach, and then head east. So it was an interesting trip with no radar. Um, you know, and then also all the deadhead, deadhead wells out in the Gulf were really something. It's amazing and sickening that they have so many deadhead wells out there. They're, you know, some of them still leaking, but a lot of them are just out there. Uh, with no lights on so it's just a navigation nightmare especially without a radar but it was an interesting trip it was myself my nephew and my great nephew who um is 19 years old who got his license just recently so it was three generations of um of Mantha. so it was it was fun anything stand out from the trip aside from those uh those deadheads uh, yeah, when we got out in the Gulf, we were way, way out in the Gulf, and um, that was when that strong front came from the west, and we had pretty good waves, maybe five-foot seas. The boat lane drew three and a half foot, uh, so it got a little, uh, a little hairy there, and and um, you know, it was it was interesting, but uh, you know, we made it. And I was trying to tell my my great nephew uh, Jack that uh, you know we didn't we were so far out we didn't have AM FM radio the night the watch before. Uh, we were listening to the radio and just having a good old time talking about his dad when his dad was younger and, you know, talking about things that his father and I had both done, like tall stacks and bringing a boat up from Galveston to Cincinnati for tall stacks, I don't know, probably 20 years ago. 
And um, so they're going to be another tall sack. So hopefully in a couple more years, we'll get to be Troy, Jack, and I. Hopefully we'll get to do boats up there all at the same time. So um, it was it was an interesting trip. Uh, but when I was in the middle of the Gulf of Mexico, uh, luckily I got a call come through. And it was the uh, folks up in Cincinnati. Um, they needed the captain kind of in a hurry because it was um, October. They have lots of bus tours coming in. And their captains were all out, so uh, they asked me how fast I could get there. So it was uh, it was the next day till I got to Tampa, and then I got to Cincinnati that night and uh, did three weeks up on a sixteen hundred passenger vessel uh, in Cincinnati for Alan and uh, Mary Bernstein uh, BB Riverboats, and that was that's always fun to be up there. Anything especially memorable from your time up there? I uh, nope. they have a great crew and um, I love working with the Bernsteins. They do a wonderful job with uh, the dinner cruises and the lunch cruises, sightseeing cruises. Uh, they're just uh, a one number uh, excursion boat company and and just great people. The Bernsteins are great people to work for. I thoroughly enjoy being up there. It was the peak of uh, fall foliage, too. So that was perfect, perfect for me. And and, uh, you know, I enjoyed seeing fall foliage because we don't get to see too much of that down here. Well, Captain Joy, your introduction to the industry is certainly different from the previous hundred guests I've hosted. Uh, we talked about this at dinner uh, a few months back. You you were born in New Orleans, I believe, to a family with nine siblings? Correct, correct. I'm the seventh of 10 children. We have five boys and five girls in the family. And uh, at some point, your father began giving you each 50 cents uh, a week, I believe, allowance. Is that accurate? Correct, correct. And uh, what exactly did you end up doing with that money? <laughs> well, uh, this is kind of really how my whole career started. Um, I had a couple of guys over the next door to me, uh, Dale and Malter, and they would go on vacation to Florida uh, for two weeks. We would only go for one week as a family, and we'd go to Pensacola. Uh, later on in the years, we always went to Gulf Hills, Dude Ranch, in uh, Ocean, Ocean Springs, Mississippi. But anyway, um, when we were younger, we'd go out, you know, and wait for the bus to come and the bus driver would stop and we'd throw water balloons at him and then we'd run. Of course, the water balloons never broke. We didn't know you had to put a little pinhole or something in them to, to get them to bust. And so when Dale Malta went on vacation, I was out at the bus stop and um, the bus driver stopped and he opened up the door and he said, no water balloons today. And I was like, oh no, I don't, I don't have any water balloons. And he said, well, you're going to get on? And I said, well, how much is it? He said, 10 cents. Well, I just got my 50 cents allowance that morning. It was a Monday, Monday, and I had my two quarters. And so I got on. So um, I rode the bus all the way from Lakeshore in New Orleans, about seven miles down to Canal Street. We got to the end of Canal Street where the Rivergate, now Harris Casino is. And he told me I had to get off. And I was like, oh, I'm not, I'm not getting off. I'm going back with you. And uh, he said, no, no, young lady, you need to get off and um, you can go catch that bus right over there. And he pointed me to three buses away from me. And I was like, oh, no, 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 I'm going back with you. And I didn't know it until really years later that he had to get off and go to the bathroom. And, and you know, in New Orleans, at the end of Canal Street, they had these steps that went down. And I think to myself, well, well, you can't go down, you know, in New Orleans, it's below, you know, sea level. I mean, I thought we buried the dead above the ground. So I was really confused. But I found out late years later, you know, I asked one of the bus drivers one time, I said, what do you do down there? He said, well, that's where we go to the bathroom. <laughs> so anyway, the poor guy had to get him to go to the bathroom. So I, he told me he'd be leaving in 15 or 20 minutes. And so um, 
I went exploring. I mean, I was 10 years old and I went exploring and ended up going up to the foot of Canal Street. And they had this big old boat called the President, the Steamer President. And they had these two young girls playing. And I started playing with them. And one of them said, do you want to you know, go on a boat ride? I was like, yeah, sure. So completely forgot about going back on the bus in my 15, 20 minute allotment of time and got on this boat called the Steamer President. And so um, they said, we'll get you on the boat if you clean the popcorn machine. So I cleaned the popcorn machine and you know, I had to stand on a milk crate and, and a chair almost to clean the popcorn machine and uh, started going back every day, you know, and they got me on the boat for free if I cleaned the machine. So when Dale and Malta came back in two weeks time, they came over looking for me and my dad said, hey, Dale and Malta came over, um, you know, where were you? I said, oh, daddy, I got me a job. And he said, you got a job? Where you have a job at? I said, oh, daddy, I'm working on this book called The Steamer President. And so, you know, he says, well, what are you doing? I said, well, I clean the popcorn machine and I clean ashtrays and bus tables and pick up trays. He says, well, how are you getting back and forth every day? I said, oh, daddy, I get paid 50 cents a day. So how that came about is that um, I didn't get to see my little friends there and and they asked me what happened. I said, well, I didn't have any car fare. And so one of them's father was the captain, Captain RM. And so he um, would reach in his pocket every day when I told him, thank you for letting me ride the boat. He'd reach in his pocket and give me 50 cents. Well, he lived in Jefferson Parish and car fare was a quarter each way. And Orleans Parish was only 10 cents each way. So I was making 30 cents a day profit, which was really nice because um, that was three Hershey bars with candy bars, with uh, three Hershey bars with almonds or three games of pinball. So I was, you know, doing pretty well making 30 cents a day. So when Dale Malta came back and my daddy, you know, wanted to know about this job, he and I told him what I was doing. He said, tomorrow, when you go down to that boat, you tell Captain Oram that you join Manthe and Manthe's daughter. I said, okay, dad, I'll do that. So I went down the next day and told him that. I didn't even know that. But Captain Oram was my third cousin. My daddy grew up working on the boats, didn't know any of this stuff when I was 10 years old. And um, his grandmother was one of the original Streckfusses of the seven children in the Streckfuss family. So it was, um, I was, you know, I'm fourth, fourth generation Streckfuss and we're one of the oldest um, uh, excursion boat families, you know, on the inland waterway system. You said your father grew up on boats? Uh, no, he, well, not really. I mean, he worked, he worked when he was in college on boats. He went to St. Louis University and worked on the boats in St. Louis um, during his college years. Uh, but then he, you know, had his own businesses. He actually had liquor stores in New Orleans and uh, like check cashing business before check cashing businesses were big. He actually did check cashing um, at, at the liquor stores uh, and they were, you know, all over New Orleans. Tell me about the uh, the steamer president and your your ten year old eyes getting on board for the first time. Well, I mean, I didn't know anything about boats. I didn't know anything about anything, um, but I know I got to eat popcorn, and that was great. <laughs> you know, popcorn I could eat, and um, and bus tables, and I mean, I worked worked probably harder then than I did when I started getting paid, you know, by the hour, um, and I just really loved it. And then um, there, has a, there was a small boat called the Mark Twain that uh, tied up on, on the outside of the president. And so that went on the original Bayou cruise. It was a five hour Bayou cruise, left at 11 and came back at four every day. And it went down to Lafitte, to Charlie Hooper's place. And so they, that's where they'd show us the 
soft shell crabs and the nutria rats and the um, alligators and nutrias. So um, I, the uh, little girl who got me to ride the boat to begin with asked me, she was a ticket seller for the Mark Twain. And she asked me one day if I wanted to go on the Mark Twain. So I did. And so when the boat turned around in Lafitte to come back, uh, the captain would eat his lunch then. So he asked me if he wanted to steer the boat. His name was Captain Samuel Centeni. And so he um, taught me how to steer the boat. He had a big wheel. I couldn't even see over the wheel. I had to stand on a steel uh, milk crate to see over the wheel. But he taught me how to steer the boat. And I, I kept her steady. And, and um, one time he went down to go to the restroom and he left me up there by myself. And we were coming on the old um, Crown Point Swing Bridge. And I didn't know he was behind me, but he was behind me. But I was scared to death because I had to go to the Swing Bridge. And there was a Dixie boat coming uh, towards me on the other side of the swing bridge. And um, that was probably my first scary moment of uh, steering a boat. And I don't know if I've ever gotten used to bridges since then. <laughs> what kind of horsepower would those boats have been? Um, the Mark Twain was like 400. Um, they had two Caterpillars, third, uh, D311s and 3303, no, D311s, 30, oh, man, Whew, it goes back to the 70s. I can't remember. But it was 400, about 400 horsepower. They were built up in uh, Dubuque. Um, actually, my uh, great, great grandfather was uh, did the plans for the boats. Um, there were 400 passengers um, on those boats, and they originally built five of them. And then at Dubuque Boat and Boiler. And then um, we had three operating in St. Louis, and we had two operating here in New Orleans. Well, what was, uh, aside from those events, what was your childhood being the seventh of 10 children growing up in New Orleans? Huh. Um, we were all over the place all the time. We just had to be home when the streetlights came on at six o'clock and the church bells rang. You know, they happened simultaneously and we better be at the dinner table one or two minutes after six. We all sat down and ate together, all 12 of us, um, you know, Barely a night went by them. We didn't have a spilt milk or something um, at the table. But um, yeah, they were good times. I mean, you know, enjoyed. And then we'd get up and my dad and mom would talk at the table and we'd go do our homework. And, um, you know, every now and then if we were cutting up or beating one another up or wrestling or something. You know, we'd hear the table chair scrape. And we knew my dad was getting up and he'd say something about he was going to get the alligator, which meant the alligator belt. And uh, we all kind of like ran. You know, whoever he caught is the one he caught. So it was, uh, we had a, a great upbringing. I mean, I, you know, I had a great childhood, but I was really never at home because from uh, the summer of fourth grade going into fifth grade, I was on the boat. Every holiday I was on the boat. Every weekend I was on the boat. Um, and I would be up and at the bus stop for maybe 7.15 in the morning. And I wouldn't get home till six o'clock, you know, on Saturday and Sundays. And then during the summertime, I'd go straight to play ball, I'd take the bus straight to um, to ball after work. So, uh, you know, I was totally never home once I started going to the boats the summer uh, before fifth grade. So, and that's really how I kind of got started in fifth grade. Um, you know, the first week in school, what do you want to do when you grow up? You know, the teacher was trying to learn a little bit about us and. I put I wanted to be a riverboat pilot because uh, I already started steering the boat to Mark Twain back in the canal and in the bayous. And um, 
she made me erase it. She told me I could not be a river pilot, that I could either be a teacher or a nurse. And I thought to myself, I don't know if I'm gonna be any nurse. You know, they used to wear those white outfits and those white hats and those white shoes that had heels on them. And I thought to myself, I'll look like a side-by-side icebox coming down the, the uh, hallway. So um, I said, well, I guess maybe I'll be a teacher, but nobody wanted me teaching their kids, that's for sure. So um, I got my first license despite my dear old fifth grade teacher, Miss Salisbury. So I was uh, very happy when I got my license. You know, I went back and told her that I got my license and she could call me Captain Joy now. So it was um, it was fun going back to my grade school, St. Pius 10th in New Orleans and, and uh, letting her know that I got a license. How many years later would that have been? Uh, at, during my senior year in high school, probably, uh, yep, 75, 76. Okay. Well, what was the age difference from your oldest sibling to the your youngest? Uh, my oldest brother was born in 43, and my youngest brother was born in 64. So uh, 44, 64, 20 years, 19 years. Yeah, indeed. Well, as per New Orleans traditions, may I ask where you went to high school? Yes, I went to Mount Carmel Academy. And as soon as you finished, did you go straight to work? You said you got your license when you were in your senior year, right? I did, but I went to, no, I went to LSU, Louisiana State University in Baton Rouge. I was actually in a sorority, uh, was sorority president, which a lot of people shake their heads just thinking that I was in a sorority. And also I was a sorority president, but I was. And then years later, I got my uh, master's from Loyola University in New Orleans. Where did you study at LSU in Loyola? Uh, at LSU, I was, was studying social work, and they lost their accreditation. Um, so I ended up just getting a degree in general studies. And at Loyola, I got my master's in pastoral care and counseling. Okay. And where did your life and career take you from that point? Um, well, I worked on boats, uh, the steamer president. I worked on all the way till 1980, uh, January 6th. Uh, the president was sold uh, from structure steamers to New Orleans Steamboat. And um, myself and my cousin, my third cousin, we bought our own little vessel uh, from St. Louis, the Samuel Clemens. And for 20 years, we operated it in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, because we had a non-compete clause in New Orleans. So um, we operated Samuel Clemens till 19, till 2000. And then um, the casino boats were pretty much, you know, embedded by then. And we lost a lot of our clientele. A lot of the um, social clubs uh, didn't have the loose cash they had before. And so um, we went ahead and sold that boat and... Uh, it went up and operated in Boston, uh, Massachusetts, and it just got sold from being a passenger boat maybe two years ago. And now it's a con construction guy bought it and he's using it as an office and as a um, kind of like warehouse type thing. So, and also when we had the Samuel Clemens, I was had gotten into the casino uh, boat trade. So the steamer president had a second life as a casino boat. And it was one of the first casino boats that started operating on April 1st of 1991 is uh, when the casino started coming into business. 
So well, before we get too far down that road, uh, tell me about the Samuel Clemens and your acquisition of it. How big was it? What did it cost you? Um, okay. I don't remember. We got an SBA loan for it. And um, to tell you the truth, I have no idea. I don't remember what it cost us. And then I'll probably find it in my paperwork somewhere. Um, it held 276 passengers and we did three sightseeing trips a day. We also had dinner cruises, barbecue cruises, catfish cruises, crawfish cruises. Um, and then we did a tremendous uh, social club business uh, in Baton Rouge. I mean, some, some days we'd have trips from at one hour sightseeing cruises from t at 10, 12, and 2. And then we'd have a dinner cruise from 5.30 to 7.30, another dinner cruise like from 8 to 10. And then sometimes we'd have a late night social club cruise from 11 to 2 in the morning. And then we actually had some from 2.30 to 5.30 in the morning. So those were good days, very profitable days when we had trips like that. How about some challenging days running that business? Um, I, I don't remember too many challenging days. I guess when we had the fraternities and the sororities come on, uh, those would be pretty pretty tough trips. Uh, you know, not even our... Not even our social clubs were bad. I mean, each person would come over with a half gallon of whiskey and then I'll leave with empty bottles or no bottles, you know, that'd be scattered around the deck with DJs on board the boat. And I used to love those trips because we'd go up the river and I'd go all the way up in the Devil's Swamp. Um, and I'd slowly go by uh, Exxon because I knew a lot of the tankmen on the barges. And sometimes, you know, they'd be screaming at me to throw them, you know, throw them something to eat. Uh, you know, I'd throw them some uh, hush puppies if it was a catfish cruise or you know, hot dogs and hamburgers. I mean, sometimes they saw me coming, you know, they'd make the motion, throw me something to eat. And um, so those were good times. Uh, but going up in a devil's swamp and hearing the music reverberate between the uh, the willows, it was it was pretty, and it was pitch black up and down. You know, people, people didn't know where we were at and what I was doing, they'd get a little, you know, a little worried, but um, it was always a fun part of the trip. What were the dimensions of that vessel? I've been on Devil's Swamp, but it's a pretty tight squeeze if it's where I'm where I'm thinking of. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, it's right there, you know, above Wilkinson Point, right above the old Baton Rouge Bridge. Um, it, you, know, you can bring a couple of regulation barges up there, but the Samuel Clemens was 77 feet long and 25 or 32 feet wide. Um, it didn't have a paddle wheel in the back. It was, we built it off of a double rate barge. So, and we used to tie it up at Tri-G Marine and, um, you know, we'd, we'd actually have to back up to it. Didn't have flanking rudders or anything. We'd have to back up to the barge and, and catch, you know, our two cowls on the stern onto the Tri-G Marine barge. But Mr. Earl Gidry was very nice and uh, let us allowed us to tie up there for, you know, a good 20 years. So, What was your experience with tugs and barges by that point? Um, really none. Uh, the Smith Tugs, which is now Crescent Towing and Salvage, um, or Crescent Towing, they uh, used to tie up at Trigy Marine, and every now and then I'd ride with them because um, I was trying to get to know the pilots because I was running for the uh, New Orleans Baton Rouge ship pilots or trying to become a, a ship pilot back then. I mean, my goal in fifth grade was to become a, you know, a ship pilot and a heavy tow pilot. And so um, I would start riding the, the tugboats with some of the guys. And then um, every Sunday afternoon, the ships would go from the general anchorage area up to the grain elevator. And so pretty much every Sunday I'd ride with one of the pilots, whoever had den duty in Baton Rouge, 
uh, you know, to get a, like a little trip in. And sometimes they'd let me, you know, do the, do the count or, you know, give the orders to the, um, to the helmsman on the foreign ships. So that was fun. Um, I always wanted to get on a towboat. You know, I really, I really wanted to be a towboat pilot or a ship pilot. And so, um, Trigy Marine was a boat store and the boats would come in there to get on their supplies and groceries and, or sometimes they have work done. And every boat that came in to Trigy Marine, I would ask them, please teach me how to tow boat. I will sign a, 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 a harmless clause, insurance clause, whatever it is it takes for me to sign. And uh, you don't have to pay me a thing and you can train me until your man says I'm ready to go. You don't pay me anything. I just want to learn how to tow boat. And I mean, I asked that to every towboat. And um, when Scott Chotan boats would come in, they came in quite a bit uh, to try Marine and tied up. And they would be tied up like for a couple of days at a time. And so I got to know those guys real well. And um, I, I would beg and beg and beg, you know, for a job. And then one time I was coming in and I had to back up. It was kind of windy day. And, you know, I, I had to back Samuel Clemens up to the barge. And I got off the barge and this elderly gentleman was standing on the edge of the barge and he said oh, that was a nice job young lady and I said oh, okay well thank you and I just went in to see um Tri G I think probably went in to get some groceries for the night cruise and hot sausage or something and um I said Mr. Gidry I said who's that old man standing out there on the end of the barge and he said well that's Captain Scott Showtan and I was like oh my god Captain Scott Showtan and I got all excited, you know, I mean, I heard about, you know, heard about him so much and everything, but I had no idea that was him. And then, of course, I kind of got a little big headed because he told me I had done a nice job. And so, um, you know, I kind of went by and I didn't say anything to him because then I was kind of nervous, you know, that was Captain Scott. So anyway, they're the ones who gave me my first chance at Tobo. It was um, Scott Showtan in 1996. I was a uh, senior captain on the uh, Bella Baton Rouge Casino in Baton Rouge and um, they called me and told me if I wanted to tow boat now was my chance because they were so hard up for people, they would give me a chance to tow boat after I'd been asking for, let's see, 96, 80. So uh, 16 years I've been asking for a job on a tow boat. And so I took the job uh, with a, a $70,000 cut in pay to go tow boat. And I don't regret it at all. I always wanted to tow boat and um, I left a $100,000 a year job and took a $30,000 $30, a year job for towboat, but don't regret it at all. And then they put me in line haul. First tow was I was in line haul and um, I got on in St. James and came up the river and we were going down the Port Allen route. And I had no idea that there was a bridge, gross tape bridge. I called my tankerman up and I was like, Tim, Tim, what is this? And he goes, that's the bridge. It's gross tape bridge. I'm like, well, does it raise up? What does it do? What do I have to do? He goes, no, you got to get it to open. I couldn't get him on the radio. I had a thousand feet of tow in front of me. It was, it was very nerve wracking. My first tow boat uh, trip, but went from uh, St. James to uh, Houston and um, to Channel View and, and love tow boat ever since. And was that post Samuel Clemens? No, 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 no. Uh, that was um, the Riverside. Scott Showtan had all their boats named after uh, racetracks. And so um, Scotty liked car racing and all their boats were named after uh, race, racetracks like the Pebble Beach, the Pocono, the Charlotte, the Daytona, the Watkins Glen, the Sebring, the Lime Rock, and the Riverside. 
the Riverside was the last boat. It was built up in uh, Greenville and it was a triple screw, uh, towboat, 1350 horsepower, had rudders like going doors. Good, good, great handling boat. So that trip down the Port Allen route, was that after you sold the Samuel Clemens? No, no, no. We still had the Samuel Clemens till 2000, but um, when the casino boats came in in 94, our business kind of dropped off, you know, a little bit. You could go ride a casino boat for free if the casino boats went out. We tried not to go out, really, so people could come and go as they as they please. But we still did some charter business and some dinner cruise business. You shared a story at dinner. I believe you had to get the Samuel Clemens up around Natchez and you were having some trouble affording fuel. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so in... Oh, 96, no, before the casino boats, but it's been 86. Um, in 1986, we went to go up to Natchez for the spring pilgrimage. And so um, it's a big it's a big week in Natchez where the, the plantation homes are all open. A lot, a lot of tourists come through. So uh, myself and my partner, uh, Captain Strecker, thought we'd go up there and, um, you know, try a little bit of business in Natchez. And so the river came up, we went in December because we wanted to see it first in December and that was a slow period for us. And um, the river came up in December and it was gonna take a lot of fuel for us to get up there. So um, I was trying to hitch a ride on a, you know, 30, uh, a 36 barge tow. And so I kept calling all these boats when they were southbound coming through the harbor to ask them, you know, if they think they could give me a ride going back up. And so um, one of the Marquette boats told me I could call uh, Captain Ike Sullivan and see what he said, but he'd be the man to talk to. So I called Captain Ike and he was so gracious. He said, yes, yes, no, yes, ma'am, young lady, you can put that boat in one of our toes, no problem. And just call him and tell him and tell him to call me. So uh, we were, that Sunday we were getting ready to leave and the next big tow coming up was the John Paul Eckstein, the old the old John Pollockstein, not not the new one. This was back in '86, and so um, we slapped it in tow. And uh, this is during the pilot's watch. And so when we got up there, um, we finished tying the boat up real well, and we had already, you know, gone around um, Wilkes and Point. And um, I made my way up to the pilot house of the um, John Paul, and the uh, the captain said, "You think you can handle this tow?" So I don't know, but I've always wanted to do it. And so he, you know, he sat me down and I started steering the boat and uh, we went around Thomas Point and then he goes, well, it looks like you know what you're doing. And I said, well, I don't know, my big beginner's luck. I'm not sure if I know or not, but this is something I've always wanted to do. And she so goes, well, I think you got it, young lady. And he left the pilot house. Well, I thought he was going downstairs to go to the bathroom. I mean, at this time, I didn't even know that they had, you know, toilets up in the pilot house of the boats because I'd never seen one in, in the pilot house before. So anyway, so um, he goes downstairs, well, he never comes back up. I'm going around Thomas Point. I don't even know the next point. I'd gone around all these points, and I didn't know, know where I was. I mean, I had a Army Corps Engineers chart, you know, but uh, I didn't, I mean, it wasn't even open. I mean, the pilot on there didn't need it. I mean, but I needed it. So anyway, um, I started looking at the chart, and I kind of started following it. And then when the captain came up, the captain kind of goes, who are you? And I said, um, I own that boat right there. Um, and y'all are giving us a ride to Natchez. He says, well, where's, oh God, what was that man's name? Um, oh, I see his face in front of me. Uh, he was from Lake Providence, Louisiana. 
oh my goodness, I thought I'd never forget that man's name anyway. I said, he, where's the pilot? I said, I don't know. He left a little while ago and he never came back up. So he said, okay. So then he left, he went down and he didn't come back up till it started getting dark. And I mean, it was, it was dark. I mean, to me, it was already dark, but he came back, you know, he came back much earlier than the other, the other, the pilot did. So I got to steer the boat all by myself. I always want to steer a 36 watch tow and I got to do it, but um, I surely didn't know what I was doing. I just got beginner's luck. It's the best way I can explain it, but it was fun. Any more highlights to touch on on your time on the canals back there? Um, no, I, I mean, I love running the canals. I mean, I love running anywhere. I mean, I'll run, um, you know, all the way down to Corpus. I've never been to Brownsville. I would have wished to have made one trip down to Brownsville, just one, just one time. And probably with not without maybe with one little regulation and not two thirties that were empty for sure. I mean, I've heard nothing but nightmares about the wind down there. But um, I've been on the intercoastal all the way from Corpus Christi to Florida, across the Ochocobe Waterway, and then up to um, to Boston. Uh, so I've been a long ways. Uh, I went that way on an excursion boat. I got uh, I did a trip from uh, uh, Nashville on one of the um, boats that used to work at Opryland. The um, uh, what, not the Park City Queen, it was that boat called, uh, the Music City Queen, and delivered it to Boston for the new owners. And it was the same owners who bought the Samuel Clemens. So that was a fun trip and got to go, go across the Ochocobie Waterway, which was really, was really a nice trip. Um, you know, they didn't think we'd be able to make it across there. And I said, well, I told the owner, I said, well, if we don't make it, we lose an, a day and a half. If we do make it, we might save 30 or 40 days, depending on what, what, what the weather is down at the southern end of Florida. So it's worth a gamble to me. He said, well, yeah, let's try it. So uh, the Corps of Engineers kept checking with them every day. And they said, oh, it might be tight. You know, one area they're putting in copper dams, maybe tough area for you. So I went ahead and we went. And sure enough, I did, you know, touch in right there where they were building the copper dams. But it wasn't bad. So I, I backed up a good ways and came fully ahead on it. And right when I had good sights on where I touched in at. So right before I got to that area, I took my engines out of gear and and uh, she floated right over it. So it was, uh, it was a good move and and we were able to save, you know, I was, guess I was kind of dumb because I was getting paid by the by the day, but I was also trying to help the owner of the boat and get it to uh, Boston as quick as he could. So that was a fun trip too. I love doing trips like that. Well, let's start from when you sold the Samuel Clemens forward. So how your career shaped up? I know there was a stop in a convent. You were involved in ministry on the river got involved with Siemens Church, so there's a, a fair amount to cover there, but uh, I guess take it from when the Samuel Clemens was sold. Oh, I sold the Samuel Clemens, well, I started uh, tow boating in 96 for um, Scott Chopin, and I only worked on the Samuel Clemens, you know, when I was off of the um, the Riverside, and, um, and you know, that was just doing the sightseeing trips and then the public night trips, and then uh, we sold the Samuel Clemens in a little after 2000, um, I had entered the convent in 90, uh, 96, I started and in 98, um, it, it got serious. I became a, a novice in 98. So I had to kind of start divesting my, um, my ownership of things, uh, to get ready for my vows of, uh, poverty, chastity, and obedience. So, um, 
in 2000, I made my first vows as a sister of St. Joseph, uh, with the Congregation of St. Joseph in New Orleans. And the whole time I was studying to become a sister, I kept thinking, okay, what am I going to do? How am I going to, you know, be able to continue to work on the river? So every time we were looking in our house about anything, and the rivers were traveling on the Mississippi River from New Orleans to Grand Coteau or New Orleans to St. Louis, uh, there's a big common in St. Louis. I wrote that page number down and the booklet that it was in because I was trying to think, okay, I got to be able to stay on the river some kind of way because I mean, that's my, my life is the river. And so um, I was just trying to get loaded for bear, you know, to have all this down. So when it came time for me to have a, a ministry, I had been thinking, you know, what could I do on the river? So anyway, when I was on the riverside um, in like 98, um, it was, I guess before then, you know, there weren't too many, too many girls, actually, there was no girl, there were no girls on the radio back then. And so, you know, I'd have all kind of comments, you know, on the radio from other guys. And, and then it was nice because a lot of the pilots would kind of come to my aid and say, well, if you could push half the toe she's pushing, you know, you know, you'd be all right. So I wouldn't say anything until you see what she's pushing, you know, and I was pushing usually 1186 feet of toe, five barges line hall barges at that. So, you know, high, low couplings, you know, steering maybe, you know, three, three big ones off of a, an empty uh, regulation and a loaded regulation. I mean, it was crazy, but it was fun. And I had, I had a great crew. I mean, uh, my um, uh, tankerman was a guy by the name of Tim and he was just fantastic. I mean, he kept me out of trouble. He came up in a, you know, going through a lock, you know, Calcasieu, he thought I had a little bit too much speed on. He'd say something very nicely, very easy, like, ooh, we got a little bit of a run going here or something, you know? So he was he was just an excellent, ex I couldn't have asked for a better tank. I mean, he was just uh, 10 megs. He was just a great, 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 uh, great guy and kept me out of a lot of trouble and taught me a lot. But anyway, so um, we were on the riverside and we were tied up um, in, in Channel View and... I was still trying to figure out what I was going to do when I made final vows, if this, you know, sister was going to let me come out and work on the river. And um, this guy was sneaking around the outside of the boat. And so I thought to myself, what is this guy doing? I said, so I told uh, Tim, I said, watch this. So I went out the, port, the starboard side and went around through the engine room and came up behind him and kind of said, hey, can I help you? And kind of scared him a little bit. He goes, no, 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 I'm just looking at this fine boat. And so a lot of guys used to do that. They were coming to see whether there was a woman on the boat or it was a man with a squeaky voice. <laughs> so anyway, um, I said, well, Cap, you want to come on in? I'll make a pot of coffee. So he came in and we we're sitting down at the galley table talking and, you know, he kind of started to tear up a little bit and he was telling me it was his first trip back that um, his wife and he were walking on the highway and a car came by and took his wife right out of his hand and, it was a hit and run accident and, um, and killed his wife. And so, you know, he was telling me this. And so I started thinking, you know, these guys out here need somebody, you know, to talk to as a chaplain or, you know, as a minister. Um, you know, a lot of times when the guys would get off the boat and go to their churches, you know, sometimes the parish priest would say, oh, well, look like, you know, look what the cat drug in or something like that. Not knowing that these guys worked, you know, moving the goods that we need in the world, uh, you know, and they would come to church on their, you know, maybe 15 days off, uh, you know, they just didn't, 
you know, most people just don't understand the river transportation business. And so um, I kind of thought it was just something that I could do would be become a chaplain to the guys that worked on the, on the, um, on the boats. And of course that would also feed my soul and allowing me to, you know, have my, you know, the rivers in my blood and allowing it to, you know, um, refreshing me and to keep me going. So anyway, so um, in 1996 or 98, the tall stacks was happening and we were going up the river with the boat from um, Galveston, the Colonel, which is an 800 passenger vessel. And tall stacks is something that was happening every four to six years in Cincinnati, where all the passenger boats come from all over the United States. They come from St. Paul, It'd come from New Orleans. We bring the Colonel, which was the furthest distance uh, from Galveston. Um, they'd come from Pittsburgh. They'd come from Nashville. They'd come from Memphis, and they would all meet in Cincinnati for a big, big festival of uh, trips and and tours. And it was just a, a great time for the people for bus tours. It was the number one thing for the American Bus Association to do one year. It's just a um, a great time for for boat people, because all of us kind of grew up together. And even even now when the Bells, Louisville had the 100th birthday, it was kind of like a mini tall stacks. And we all got together in Cincinnati, um, excuse me, in Louisville, which was a great time. And actually they're talking about tall stacks again in 2025. So that'll be a great time to be um, on the river in the excursion boat business. But anyway, so um, I kept thinking that there was a ministry to the guys who worked on the boats. And so we, myself and uh, my nephew Troy, were bringing the colonel from Galveston up to Cincinnati, and we stopped in Paducah to get fuel. And it was at the same time I had just read an article in the Waterways Journal about this Siemens church having a simulator in Paducah that would simulate the eddies and the currents and the wind and all this on the river. And growing up at the foot of Canal Street, where the eddy changes every couple of seconds, minutes, I was like, there's no way in hell they can simulate the eddies at Canal Street or anywhere on the river below these points in the simulate. I mean, I was just like, there's just no way. I'm just full, full of disbelief. And so we stopped in Paducah just because I wanted to go see the see the simulate. And uh, instead of taking on fuel in Memphis, we took it on in, um, in uh, Paducah. So anyway, so um, I went across the street and and uh, I knew Greg Menke. He had played the Clypey in several places. And so I kind of knew him and knew of him. So he showed me around. And at the same day, uh, Reverend Gene Smith, who was the executive director of Siemens Church, was in Paducah. And so um, I met with her and told her I was, you know, in formation to be a sister and that, you know, I was with the colonel outside and she was welcome to come over and look at it. Um, but I was interested in, in, um, in, you know, continue to be a boat pilot and a towboat pilot. But I didn't know if the sisters were going to let me do that. And I was going to have to try to find some kind of ministry connected to the river. And so she said, well, look, when you make your vows and you're ready to go to work, give me a call because I have something in mind. And so I said, OK, so I made vows in a year and a half later in January and I called her the month before I made vows and in uh, January 16th of 2000. And she said, well, um, let me let me get my ducks in a row so you can get your salary, you know, what would you require to put that and all this other stuff. 
So anyway, so I told her and I called her after I made my vows around January 20th of 2000. And she said, uh, we're starting a ministry uh, to go along with our uh, Center for Maritime Education. Uh, we're going to build one in um, Houston and we'd like you to run in, you know, the Gulf area and the Mississippi River area as a, as a chaplain. So I was like, boy, that's exactly what I was hoping for, exactly what I was looking for. So that's how I got involved with Simmons Church in Institute and I worked for them uh, for 2000 to 2007. Um, but I also continued a tow boat uh, as a trip pilot uh, so I could keep my license up. And um, I always worked at Christmas time so a guy could be off, you know, with his family and uh, children. And then I usually came out and worked at, around July 4th because that's when the sisters let me work around Christmas and July 4th so I could keep my license up. So I did that for about seven years. And then I um, went back to Toba when I decided that I wasn't going to make final vows with the congregation of St. Joseph um, and went back to, to Toba full time. And you're still involved with the congregation in some sense, are you not? Yes, I am. I'm an associate. Um, so I have, um, I would say I have my own vows uh, and um, I am with the sisters quite a bit as an associate. Well, I think you said that was up in 2007. Yes, in 2007, I came out and um, went back to um, Toboten. I was still Toboten and um, and also doing trip work on passenger boats. Where were you running and who for? Uh, in 2007, uh, I was working for one of the large, large petroleum companies. Um, uh, Scotch, the Curbing in the Marine that brought out Scott Chopin. And so I was working with them. And then um, I was working passenger boat wise up in Cincinnati and in the New Orleans Harbor and in um, uh, Tampa. Any highlights come to mind from that period in your life? Um, no, not really. Well, where did your career take you thereafter? Let's see. 2010. Uh, I still con con was still in the brownwood industry, towboating, mostly uh, working in the canals. Every now and then I got lucky and got to go out to the river. During high water, you usually have to come out in the river because they had the experience, but mostly uh, the canals. Well, you mentioned tall stacks a few times. Tell me about that event. And then you shared a story. I forget the details of it, but it was certainly worth capturing on this little conversation. Uh, I think you somehow managed some special permissions to get people on board at tall stacks. I think it was. Was so it a haunted boat, maybe? Oh, the, um, the, yeah, no, that was. Oh, maybe it was when I was at the uh, the ferry landing and it was shut out fog and I thought I was below the ferry and when when the fog cleared up I was above the ferry and I was playing chant music with the yellow lights and my nephew said something about Joy former green jeans is going to come out from that house and see these yellow lights glowing in the in the in the in the uh, background and thinks he he think he died with that chant music going was that it? I don't think so. It might have been. It no, might Haunted boats and tall stacks. I mean, we have big parties at tall stacks, and there's a, a haunted sidewheel dredge that um, that BB Riverboats operates every year, the night USS Nightmare. Is that it? And they have to crew party at tall stacks? That sounds more familiar. Yeah, with, with Joe, Crazy Joe. The USS Nightmare is one of um, BB Riverboats' um, 
<clears throat> haunted, I think that was the first spot with a haunted, a haunted house on an old side wheel uh, steam dredge. And they call it the USS Nightmare. And um, when I was up there just, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I mean, you'd have lines blocks long to get on the USS Nightmare. Um, last time I went on it, we had, uh, who works the, um, not who works the rivers, we had the Wemos group went on with uh, Chad Penanke's, um waterway cleanup uh, boat. And it must, it must stay in around the Cincinnati River in October because I saw it again uh, my last few trips when I was in Cincinnati a couple of weeks ago, they were uh, on, the, on the Cincinnati Riverfront. But we most had a, a cleanup day and we all went to do a cleanup. And then that night, a couple of the um, Wemos uh, members uh, went on the USS Nightmare. It's a thrill. It's an unbelievable job that the Bernsteins do. And um, if you're ever in the Cincinnati area anytime in October, I mean, I think they actually started on weekends at the end of September. Um, it's something to see. It's one of the best uh, rated haunted houses in the uh, United States. The USS Nightmare. Well, any other highlights or especially interesting stories from your, your time uh, in the Inland River system? Um, no, I, no, I was just very fortunate that, you know, I got a chance that, um, that um, uh, I was hired on with Scott, Scott Chotan and uh, Arnie Rothstein uh, gave me the chance. And, you know, I'm indebted to him for life, really, because um, I absolutely love Tobotin. And if I want to get my chance for Scott Chotan, um, I probably wouldn't have, you know, got on any towboats. I mean, the good thing is, um, you know, uh, Steve Valarius with uh, Kirby, who's Kirby Inland Rings president at one time, I think he had the fourth thought of bringing women out on the towboats. Um, he's the one who started hiring maritime uh, students and cadets in the brown water industry. And when they did that, Kirby brought on, you know, uh, four women and um, two of them are still in the towing, towing industry. And then since then, many more have come come on board the vessels. But, um, you know, I, I, you know, most guys will tell you, you know, kind of changes up the um, living on board the vessels. Uh, it seems like it, you know, it's just more normal, normal type of living, I guess. I don't know how to explain it, but uh, I've never had any, it, it was almost kind of like, um, when I go back, when I look back and think about it, I mean, it was like perfect because, you know, as a religious sister getting on the towboats, it was like the wives were kind of acceptable of that, I guess, because I was a, a nun. I mean, I was kind of question, question what they thought. I mean, I was still a human being, but I was a religious sister. But anyway, it worked really well to slowly start getting women on board the vessels. Um, and then, and I, and also as a chaplain, I was going from boat to boat to boat to boat. So, you know, a lot of the crew members would have a female on board the boat myself. And then they would be able to tell their wives, you know, hey, you know, oh yeah, Sister Joy's on the boat. Well, I guess they felt comfortable with Sister Joy being on the boat. Uh, and it was able to open up the doors for future women uh, coming up behind me. So I think it was uh, Steve Larison and his infinite wisdom, you know, uh, mapped that out, so to speak. And um, and I am just very appreciative to him uh, for allowing me to, and to Arnie Rothstein, really, for getting me on a towboat because um, 
I've had a wonderful, wonderful life. I love Tilboten. And I've been very, very fortunate, very blessed. Well, tell me a little bit about uh, your experience with Showtan. I've heard nothing but great things about that company. And that, I'm not sure if it was you that told me, but that uh, their boats were sort of a step above some others. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, well, Captain Scott, uh, you know, first of all, Captain Scott Chopin, he was honored with Siem at Siemens Church at one of their uh, earlier um, river bells. You know, he designed the 30,000 barrel uh, barge, um, which, you know, we have today and we use today. Um, his vessels were always top notch. They were very well built. Um, they all had like, um, the furniture was like built in. They had steam tables. They, they weren't like the big river toes. I mean, they had they, they all had steam tables and they all, they all had cooks, but these were canal boats and they had cooks on board. Like the Riverside had a cook on board until uh, Kirby bought it and then they lost the cook. Um, but Mr. Alfred got to go cooking the, um, the, the dorm uh, in Houston or in Channel View. But um, so he didn't lose his job. So that, that was a good thing. Mr. Alfred made, he made some great cinnamon rolls. But anyway, um, the Shotan boats, they were always very, they were always looked like they were a line boat. They were always very freshly painted. They always looked great with the red, white, and blue stripes. Um, they, uh, on the inside, had, you know, teak wood furniture, had steam tables, had the uh, boiler plate in the zinc where you could throw crawfish in and boil crawfish right in, the, you know, in the kitchen in the galley uh, zinc. Um they were just, they were first-class boats, no doubt. Yeah, they sure were. Well, yeah. Captain Joy, it seems we have a mutual friend that runs Callahan Marine Consulting that uh, made these signs here for me. Tell me about meeting him, and I think you said you worked with his father to some degree as well. I did. Back in um, 1984, um, I still was trying to get a, on a towboat, and I kept thinking, well, you know, if I get on with a big company, you know, eventually they'll put me up to the wheelhouse, you know, being a minority. And so in 1984, I went up to somewhere, some little Bodum town in Mississippi. It might have been Greenwood, I think it, it was. And it was um, Exxon used to hire their crew members, their tankmen and deckhands out of hotels in little towns, you know, all up and down the river. So I think I made like a seven hour drive, six and a half hour drive to Greenwood, Mississippi to a Holiday Inn to get hired on with Exxon. Now I already had the Samuel Clemens and Samuel Clemens was doing great, but I still was trying to get on a towboat. So um, I did get hired on and the first vessel I went on, <clears throat> well, first of all, they sent us to the National River Academy for two weeks for tankerman training. So that was interesting. I don't, I don't think I've ever heard anybody on the show talk about the National River Academy. They were in Helena, Arkansas. And you went for two weeks, they taught you how to splice line and throw a line. And um, I'll never forget, you know, I went out there when we were, you know, I heard I could shovel my food in and I'd go out to the, uh, the line throwing pad and I'd be throwing, I mean, two inch cotton lines, throwing them, throwing them, throwing them. I'd eat my every meal I'd eat real quick and then go out and throw lines to practice. You had to, I, think, I can't remember exactly what it was, but you had to make like 10 out of the 15 throws from 10 foot, 15 foot five foot, 10 foot, and 15 foot, something like that. 
And believe me, my first day, I wasn't hitting anything. So I knew I was going to have to practice. And I was a good ball player, so I thought I'd eventually get it. But anyway, I'd shovel my food in and go out and start practicing. And, um, oh, my God, on the third day, I couldn't even pick up my fork to eat because my arm was so sore from, from throwing lines. And so um, I just had to rest it for a couple of days. And thank God back then I had uh, Anaprox Naproxen, which was a lead today. But back then you had to have a prescription for it. Thank God I had some of that to take because at least I could pick up my arm, you know, after three days of resting it. But um, but anyway, I, and I and I won the award for for most throws and accurate throws in that class. But anyway, uh, that was National River Academy in 1986, as uh, in Helena, Arkansas. But anyway, those were that was a it was a great place. They really need stuff like that today um, to try to get some of these young people to come out and work on the turbos. But anyway, so in my class. Um, Tim Callahan was also hired, and his dad was the chief engineer on the first boat that I got assigned to, which was the biggest boat that um, Exxon had, the Exxon Kentucky. And it was the flag vessel of um, Exxon, and it used to run with uh, 12 barges between uh, Baton Rouge, Exxon, and right below the bridges in Memphis, Tennessee. And so um, Tim's dad was the uh, engineer, and the other one was Bob, Chief Bob. And um, I used to always have to change the oil with them because I had a little experience changing oil in the San Clemens, even though it's big difference, big engines. But um, I had no trouble with just grabbing the oil filters that, you know, were this big and just get oil all over me. But, you know, I knew what I was doing and they they uh, they always asked for me to help them change the, the oil and stuff on the Exxon Kentucky, which I think, if I remember right, was a 5,600 horsepower towboat. So, um, and then later on, you know, uh, Tim, Tim worked on the Exxon Kentucky and uh, also worked on other vessels. And then uh, Tim went to the engine, followed his dad's footsteps and uh, became an engineer like his father. And then was also um, a port engineer uh, for Kirby and Marine later on when uh, I was working in the office and working uh, on the boats. Well, thank you for that. When do you go back to work? What's next for you? Right now, I don't have um, anything lined up. We have Who Works the Rivers with um, the tomorrow and Friday. So that's all the Jefferson Parish Schools um, students coming from the Jefferson Parish Schools uh, one day and then Orleans Parish Schools the other day. And we're trying to get all these young high schoolers interested in realizing that there's jobs associated with the river industry, not just on the boats, but uh, you know even on the cranes, uh, the loading cranes, on the the, the crew boats in the office and payroll um, and IT, um, just let them know that there's so many jobs related to the river industry and how important the river industry is. Um, so we're trying to get, you know, some young people to come out and work in our industry. So um, we have those on at the Port of New Orleans on Wednesday and Friday. And right now I'm not lined up for any, uh, I thought I had something about bringing a couple of boats down the river from up north before uh, the locks get closed up, but I think uh, we're gonna just go go another way now. So um, not really sure what I have lined up right now, but I'll probably pick up something for around Thanksgiving and definitely we'll go out at Christmas time. Um, I always like to trip at Christmas to give uh, a guy off, you know, to be home with his family and uh, his children. So I, I enjoy going out for the holidays. Well, I hope you enjoy your break and I'm glad your nerves didn't get the better of you this evening. <laughs> Well, thank you, Tim. I enjoyed uh, 
as always, listening to your podcast. And and I would like to say this, and I hope that you don't edit it out, but um, what you're doing for the marine industry is fantastic. And that's why I wanted to come up and meet you in person and you know take you and your wife out to dinner because even when we had these Who Works the Rivers and kids want to ask more questions or the students want to ask more questions, I'll tell them, hey, listen to Between the Levees. It's a podcast. You'll get an idea of the type of people that we have working out here and also you know what we do, the jobs that we do. And what you're doing with these podcasts and painting a picture with so many people who really know absolutely nothing about our industry is you know worth everything in, you know, in gold. I mean, the... I and I'm sure many people in the marine industry, especially recruiters and stuff, um, owe you a debt of gratitude for what you're doing and, you know, teaching others about, you know, our wonderful world in the, in the maritime business. So thank you for what you do. And thank you so much for being a part of it. We'll stay in touch. All righty. Be careful and be safe. Thank you. Thanks a lot. This has been a production of Where You At Studios, LLC.